Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Even in the best of situations between now and heaven, you're going to have to endure a lot of personal hurt. And the Bible's really clear that you and I will never survive that and we will never thrive in those kinds of conditions unless we learn to be expert at the art of forgiveness. You and I have to be expert at the art of biblical forgiveness, sincere forgiveness that comes from the heart and washes us clean of all those attitudes and feelings. consider what we really need to survive, you probably wouldn't think about forgiveness. But today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares makes the case that forgiveness is essential to the Christian life. In fact, it's the key to survival on an imperfect planet. I'm Dave Drewey. Glad you could join us as we work our way verse by verse through the book of 2 Samuel and discover a valuable lesson on biblical forgiveness from the life of David. Well, now here's Pastor Mike talking about how to forgive. There were some uh, huge storms down in uh, Brazil this last week, and I read a story about a guy who uh, was actually washed away in a flash flood. And he was washed, uh, believe it or not, in, into the sewage system of his town. Now, he found himself in this big, uh, you know, this big uh, slimy, stinky conduit, and he couldn't get himself out. He actually, believe it or not, for four days was stuck in the sewage system of his town. Finally, on the fourth day, Thursday, last Thursday, he called out and someone heard his cries and they got a team of people and fished this guy out of the stinky sewer. Now, talk about ready for a shower, right? Can you imagine coming out of that thing just after four days and just filth and grossness? And, uh, you know, getting a nice warm shower. <laughs> I mean, a bar of soap, right? Uh, your favorite pajamas and slippers. Whatever it is, a nice cooked meal in your home, and I, that must have been heaven for that guy. Now, speaking of heaven, I'm quite confident that as you look back on your memories of this place, when we're there, it'll be a lot like the memories of that sewer. I mean, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about the neat things in heaven, but it also spends a lot of time telling us of what's not going to be there. I mean, the Bible tries to conjure up a lot of excitement in our hearts for heaven by telling us, like in Revelation 21, 4, there's not going to be any crying. There's not going to be any mourning. There's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any of that old stuff. I love the way God wraps it up in that passage. All the whole order of those old things, gone. Forget about it. It won't be there. The Old Testament prophet says it well. He says, it's like looking back on an old misty. It's like the former things will just like be all forgotten. You won't even want to think back to the pains and injuries of this life. Pretty stinky world we live in. Even if you're in a good Christian marriage, got a nice Christian family, even if you're in a good Christian church, there are going to be things that injure and hurt and offend. There'll be words that are said that are snide or uh, critical. There'll be insensitivities that are expressed in a variety of ways that are going to hurt and make me feel bad. But heaven, no one uh, gossiping, no one being uh, critical. Nobody uh, saying things that are injurious to me or my family members. Be no one unfaithful, no one who made a promise that goes back on it, no one who's inconsistent. 
No one that drags us off to court. No one that falsely accuses us. No one that says things that aren't true. No one that's just mean or nasty or in some way just, just being a bad person to us for whatever reason. We're going to be free from all of that because all that filth and all that bad stuff will be gone. That's a great thought. But it also makes me think that from now until then, we got a lot of that to endure. And even in the best of situations, between now and heaven, you're going to have to endure a lot of personal hurt. And the Bible's really clear that you and I will never survive that, and we will never thrive in those kinds of conditions unless we learn to be expert at the art of forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about the world's version of this, because the world talks a lot about forgiveness. I read some non-Christian books this week on forgiveness, and let me just tell you, they don't get it. It's a cheap substitution for real biblical forgiveness. You and I have to be expert at the art of biblical forgiveness, sincere forgiveness that comes from the heart and washes us clean of all those attitudes and feelings. It's a kind of forgiveness that Jesus talked a lot about, and he basically told us, you're going to have to be good at it. You're going to have to reflect my kind of forgiveness. And he was protecting us because, you know, if you and I don't get real good at forgiveness, not only will we stand in opposition and disobedience to God, but you and I will begin to self-destruct. We'll carry around feelings of bitterness. We'll have attitudes of anger toward people. We'll carry around thoughts of retaliation. We will in our hearts be strategizing to protect ourselves in relationships because, you know, we've become calloused and we know how we got hurt the last time and so we're real careful and protective and we won't have the kind of richness in our lives that God designed for the body of Christ and for marriage and for friendships because we haven't learned to forgive. So we've got to learn to do it. And so it's with a sense of urgency that I turn you to 2 Samuel chapter 19, and I want you to look carefully at this passage because whatever else I've ever preached, I know for positive that this sermon is one you'll need, and you'll need it from now until the day you die. When you get to heaven, I give you permission to tear up these notes, and you won't need to use them anymore. But until then, this will be a set of principles that you will have to put into action if you are going to survive in a world full of words, comments, and attitudes that will inevitably hurt you, and they'll hurt you personally, and sometimes they'll hurt you deeply. So how do we deal with it? Let's look at how David dealt with it. Thankfully, he provides us a wonderful, classic textbook example of biblical forgiveness. Look at it with me, beginning in verse number 9. It says, throughout the tribes of Israel, this is 2 Samuel 19, verse number 9. The people were all arguing with each other, saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies long time ago. He's the one who rescued us way back when from the hand of the Philistines. But, but now he's fled the country because of Absalom. Of course, you remember the context. Absalom, his insurrectionist, rebellious son, had kicked him out of town, had led this coup to try and take over the government. And David, without fighting, leaves town because he doesn't want to shed blood in the capital of Israel, this place that's named after peace. And so he leaves. And he doesn't fight, and he becomes a fugitive way to the east of the Jordan River in his desert fortress. And then, of course, the battle ensues because Absalom and his men march out to kill David. And when the battle ensues, Absalom gets killed, as they say there in the next verse. Verse 10, Absalom, the one we anointed to rule over us, he's died in battle. So here they are saying amongst themselves and arguing, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? Maybe it's time we should do it. Perhaps we should invite him back. Maybe he should be our king. You know, he was a good king. He didn't, you know, save us in a lot of uh, situations from the Philistines. He's a good leader. 
Oh, we turned on him and we did mean things and we basically led an army that went out to kill him. But you know, Absalom, our leader's dead. Now what should we do? And while they're arguing amongst themselves as to what to do, David steps in and demonstrates the first aspect of biblical forgiveness. And it's a mind blower because it's a hard one for us to grapple with in real life because we don't feel like doing this. But David, it says in verse 11, David sent a message to Zadok and Abathar, those two priests that stayed behind in Jerusalem as informants for David. They said, ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace? Since all this arguing and everything that's being said throughout all of Israel has reached the king at his quarters. I'm hearing all this stuff and you guys are thinking about bringing me back. Why are you not leading this charge? Let's get together. He says, you're my own flesh and blood. Why should you be the last to bring back the king? Come on, guys, let's get over this. Let's get beyond it. I'll come back. He's sending a message to the leaders of Judah who are influential in all of Israel. Come on, guys. Now tell me if that's a normal thing to do. When people have betrayed you, hurt you, turned on you, they've done mean things, and they've basically been just completely mean to you, are you going to be the one to send the message of reconciliation and say, hey, guys, let's get beyond this? No. What's the natural response? You know, if that jerk ever calls me and apologizes the right way, you know, if those people, if they really want to be friendly, they better come crawling back and say the right things. And if they do, then, you know, we can talk. You know, maybe we can get back together. Maybe we can make it the way it was. But that person needs to apologize first. And when David leads this, this or sends this message and, and, and says, come on, guys, let's get together, you got to recognize he's not just giving them a red carpet for an apology. He's not saying, hey, I'm calling so that you can apologize to me. Oh, I'm willing to entertain at any time if you want to give me some kind of apology and tell me you're really sorry. No, David just says, come on. Let's just get it back the way it was. He stretches out his hand of reconciliation and says, come on. You know what he's doing in that, in that move right there? He's being godlike. Do you remember that passage we quoted all the time? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, that God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that spells? Initiation, first move. We were still sinners. God stretched out his hand and said, come on, let's, let's get this right. Let's reconcile. Do you know what God expects of godly people? Not to wait for the apology. He expects godly people to make the first move. You're taking notes, jot that down. You and I, if we want to master this thing called forgiveness, we have to learn that the biblical model of forgiveness always lays the imperative on us to make the first move. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about forgiveness now, right? We're not talking about learning to say, I'm sorry. We're not learning about repentance. We're learning about forgiveness. And you're telling me I got to make the first move. That's exactly what I'm telling you you got to do. When you have been wronged, make the first move. When someone has a problem and they have done something bad to you, the Bible says make the first move. You stretch out your hand. There's a word in the New Testament, Greek word that often is translated uh, forgive, forgave, forgiveness. And it's the word uh, charizomai. And charizomai is a word that's used often in the New Testament forgiveness, for forgiveness. And if you've been around the church very long, perhaps that sounds like a familiar word because it sounds so much like a word we hear so often in churches called charis. Charis is the Greek word for grace. It's one of the most important theological, fundamental, foundational words to Christian theology. Charis, grace, God's grace. Now this word, charizomai, they're first cousins. These are cognate words and they share the same root. Charis is favor, and it's favor, as you know, that's unmerited. It's favor that's not earned. Charizomai is the act of extending that favor. And interestingly enough, it's the word that's translated into English, forgiveness. 
You see, David, in extending a hand of reconciliation to people that had been mean to him, he's saying, guys, I'm saying let's get it behind us. I am initiating. I am giving favor that's unearned. Did you know that's what God requires of you when you've been hurt? He expects you to take the initiative to reconcile because that's what's at the heart of God, reconciliation. And he says, so far as it depends on you, if there's any way that you can be at peace with people, pursue it, pursue peace. Do these sound like biblical phrases? They are. They're extracted right out of the Bible. And it all is summed up in that word charizomai. I am giving favor. I'm giving blessing. I'm giving merit. I'm giving grace. And I'm giving it where it's not deserved. Because if I say to you today, call those people that are, have done b bad things to you. Call those people that have been mean to you. Write a letter. Be nice to them. Put them back on your Christmas card list. Be kind to people that have been mean to you. Your, your emotions are going to say no. They ought to make the first move. And I'm saying to you, that's not a biblical approach. That's a worldly approach. The biblical approach is bound up in this concept of grace, charis, charizomai. It's giving what's not deserved. It's extending a hand of friendship. When the last time I did it, someone has hurt me. And if you say, oh, I've tried that, and they still haven't, they haven't, they haven't reconciled, they're not willing, do it again. How often does God stand there and extend his hand to, to rebellious sinners and say, come on, let's reconcile, come on. And a lot of us, he's done that many times before we responded to his call of grace. He didn't offer it once and walk away. You don't do that either. If you want to be a godly person that reflects biblical forgiveness, you've got to extend that charizomai often. And you need to say, you know what? You've hurt me, but I want to get it beyond us. Not I'm ready for an apology if you have one. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about saying, let's get past this. Let's move on. I'm ready to make it the way it was. Come on. Can we get over this? Can we move forward? How far does that kind of grace go? Look at the next verse, 2 Samuel 19, verse number 13. David's message to these people, he includes this statement. Would you please say to Amasa, well, who's that guy? Amasa, Amasa, I've heard that word. Look back in chapter 17 real quick. Chapter 17, verse 25, I think it is. 17:25. it says, Absalom had appointed Amasa over the army in place of Joab. Remember, Joab was David's commander, and Joab went with David. But that left this army that was ready to go after David and kill him. The rebel army needed a leader. And so Absalom says, let's have you, Amasa, be the leader. So catch this. Amasa was the leader of the rebel army that was giving instructions and strategies to try and kill David. So David's got a message for him. Got a message for him. And perhaps it's one like this. Everyone can you know, reconcile with me except you. Right? That's what I'm expecting, perhaps. Look back at our passage, 19, verse 13. And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? Oh, my goodness. Aren't you from the tribe of Judah? Don't, you, don't we have an affinity together? He says, he says in verse 13, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if from now on you are not the commander of my army in place of Joab. That's huge. What's he doing? Is that grace? My goodness, that's grace. What, is, what, is, what does Amasa deserve? There's death. He deserved David to back him. He deserved Dave to exclude him. I'll forgive everybody and let's reconcile, but not you because you were a, the head of the army giving strategies to try and kill me. David says, no, I want you to be the leader of my army. You know what that is? That's an extension of full-blown, unbridled forgiveness. It's grace. It's this kind of thing. Keep your finger here, 2 Samuel 19, and go with me to Romans chapter 12. This is what it is. Jesus makes it this clear in his teachings, and Paul summarizes it in words that we can relate to. He calls these people that have injured us and hurt us our enemies. And though you can think of that in political terms and military terms, it really comes down to the people in our lives that have hurt us. 
Our enemy can be our parents. Our enemy can be our siblings. Our enemy can be our adult children. Our enemies can be our, our boss, our co-workers, our managers, our cousins. Our, we have a lot of enemies in our life. And all that means is people that have been mean to us, that have hurt us, that have injured us, or, or our family in some way. Well, what about our enemies? What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to extend charizomai, of course. What does that look like? Are you with me? Romans chapter 12, drop down to verse number 20. On the contrary, and those words are there because he's just gotten off this discussion on revenge. He says, if your enemy is hungry, then make sure and let him know that you'd be happy to go to lunch if he ever came and asked for forgiveness for the bad stuff he's done to you. See that there in, in verse, verse 20? No, it doesn't say that because that's not charizomai. If your enemy is hungry, guess what you should do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's the response I should have to people that hurt me? Wow, that's really weird. Yeah, it's grace. It's the kind of grace that God demonstrates for us on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, God is like that. He sends his son to rise on the crops of the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the crops of people that are wicked and sinful. And he extends his grace every day to people. He extends his hand of reconciliation. And you know what? I want you to be like that. And he says, when you do that, when you love your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, you know what you're like? I love what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you will then be sons of the Most High. What's he saying? It's not a statement about our salvation. It's a statement about being a chip off the old block. Then you'll be like dad. Then you'll be like our Heavenly Father because you know, our Heavenly Father is constantly extending a hand of reconciliation to people that have wronged him. You want to be like that? Then you start showing some charisma to people in your life who have hurt you. And then he gives this analogy there in verse number 20. It's really a complex ancient analogy about heaping burning coals in their head. And some people have tried to interpret that into something negative. It's not negative because in verse 21, he calls it good. He says, don't be overcome by evil when people hurt you, but overcome evil with good. Do good to people. Help them, assist them. Extend that hand of grace when it's not deserved. And you know what you'll do? You'll start to overcome all the ramifications of evil and injury by doing good. Do you see what he's saying? When someone hurts you, it causes a rift. There's tension in relationships that you have right now. God is so into reconciliation. He wants to heal that relationship and he wants you to make the first move. And making the first move means that you are willing to reach out your hand when you feel like that person doesn't deserve it. Do it anyway. Because then you know what? You'll be like God. You'll be acting like God acts. Because he's a God who looks at evil and constantly tries to overcome that evil by doing good. That is so powerful, and that is so important. And that leaves us as Christians with no excuse to wait with our arms crossed for someone to apologize. Because Jesus didn't wait for that as he hung on the cross, did he? So he looked down at those people and he said, what? Father, what? Forgive them. What did Stephen say when he was being stoned there and those people were rushing on him and killing him, throwing rocks at him? What did he say? He said, Father, don't hold this against them. He was demonstrating charizomai and offering this kind of forgiveness when it was not deserved. Now, I know there are some situations, for all of you that are critical thinkers and thinking of all the exceptions, there are some situations when you cannot complete transactional reconciliation. There cannot be full restoration because that person is unrepentant. I understand that. But you have to start with a positional act of extending reconciliation wholeheartedly and sincerely to the one who's wronged you. And it's completed and responded to when they respond. I understand that. But we don't withhold it. Much like Jesus in saying, Father, forgive them. He was offering this grace to them. Now, it wasn't really fully reconciled. And there was no full reconciliation until those people responded. But that wasn't the point. Jesus was always making the first move. And my point is, have you made the first move with those people that you feel that tension with? 
Those people in your family you haven't talked to because, you know, there's this bridge, this gap, this distance because they've hurt you and you're saying, well, they've hurt me and if anybody should call, they ought to call. No, 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 no. The Bible puts the responsibility on you. You make the first move. You hold out the hand of grace. And David did that. So much so that Amasa was given, given an invitation to become the leader of the army. Back to our passage. How well does that work? If you are obedient to biblical forgiveness by extending your hand in grace to people, more times than not, God will show that he is apt and quick to back his word up in obedient Christians by giving a good result. And that's exactly what happened in our passage. Look at verse 14. David, in offering that hand of Charizomai, won over the hearts of all the men of Judah as though they were one man. And they sent word to the king, Oh, David, come back, return, you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now, why did he go as far as the Jordan? Because here they come. Look at the bottom of verse 15. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. That's a beautiful picture of reconciliation. Here are these people reconciling, meeting at the Jordan River. As David comes back, they sent word back, come on back. How come that all happened? How come there's this sweet picture of alienated parties being reconciled here? Not because David waited for their disputing and arguing and wondering what they were going to do to finish. Not because he waited for some fruit basket and some apology letter. It happened because David made the first move. And David said, let's get, it, let's get all this behind us. Can we move forward? Is God into that? You bet he is. But you might think it's easy when you're looking at the masses of people that have been mean to you. But it gets real personal and specific in the first word of verse 16. Look at that. You remember him? Shimei? <laughs> Shimei, the dirt clod thrower, right? The guy who came out as David was leaving and dragging his sandals in the dirt about as low as a man could get, being chased by his own son out of town with a defeated, half-assembled army with his family, you know, just trying to make his way out of town to save his life. And Shimei comes up throwing dirt clods and rocks at him, saying, get out of here, you scoundrel. Leave, you man of blood. And all this stuff that's happening to you, you deserve it. You're a jerk. Get out of here, idiot. Never liked that king anyway. And David is, receives all this abuse. Different story now. David marching back, elders of Judah, leaders of Israel, flanked on both sides, pomp, success, reconciliation, and guess who shows up? Dirt clod man, right? <laughs> Here's Shimei. And we're kind of ending today's message on a bit of a cliffhanger as King David is again approached by Shimei, his return to the palace. We'll pause here, but Pastor Mike Fabares will be back tomorrow on Focal Point to pick up the story as he continues this lesson on how to forgive. And if you ever miss a program, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen on demand. You can also listen online when you visit focalpointradio.org. Well, something we're passionate about here at Focal Point is helping people develop a deep love for the Scriptures. And that's because the better we know and understand what God says in His Word, the better we can apply it to our lives and make a real difference in the world. And this month we're featuring a book filled with practical resources to help you further develop Christian disciplines in your life. It's called The Pursuit of Excellence by Dr. George Sweeting. And in this book, Dr. Sweeting explores the nine marks of Christians who pursue and attain excellence and teaches us how to press on even when it's difficult. We'll send you a copy of The Pursuit of Excellence as our way of saying thanks when you donate to the Ministry of Focal Point this month. Just call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. 
And if you're ready to take your support to the next level by committing to monthly donations, I encourage you to become a Focal Point Partner. Your regular monthly support will allow us to expand the reach of this ministry. And joining is easy. Just go to focalpointradio.org. We're so grateful for your support because it enables countless others to explore the depths of Scripture with us each day. On their behalf, thank you. If you've never contacted us before, we'd love to hear from you. We'll send you a free pamphlet all about knowing God's will just for getting in touch when you call 888-320-5885. Well, I'm Dave Drewey, inviting you to join us again on Thursday as we continue our study called How to Forgive right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.